and be reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No, sh no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. <clears throat> they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Well, let's be seated. Let's talk about God's word. We're going to continue. Uh, we read this passage, and it's, it's going to, you're going to see how I'm going to tie it into today's passage. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 66. And there's a lot of connections between this last uh, sermon of uh, Isaiah, the 27th sermon out of uh, uh, out of the sermons from chapter 40 to chapter 66, there's 27 sermons. Chapter 66 is the 27th sermon. What Doug read is half of the 26th one. And there's some real connections between this last one and that. And so I, I wanted us to read it so that we would have that in our minds as we go into God's word. He starts in Isaiah 66, 1 and says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and where is the place of my rest? I want to stop on that idea of rest before we get into the chapter because that's the question that he asked. Where is the place of my rest? And I was thinking about how you know, Memorial Day weekend is a time where we think about rest, or we should be. I mean, most of us are thinking, okay, I got time to get more projects done at home, right? And, and sometimes we take rest, but sometimes we use those times uh, uh, that are set aside. Rather than for reflection, we get, get busy and we get to work, and, and we don't always know how to rest. And the question that I have for us today is, do you long for, for rest. In your hearts, are you longing right now for just a break, just some rest, just some time off, just a vacation, just something, a rest from the stresses of life, a rest from financial stresses, a rest from relational stresses? In your heart, do you long for rest? Because my contention here this morning is is that that longing is really a longing for God. Now we think of 
Memorial Day and we think of you know, these, these crosses that you saw and these images and, and usually we either have written on those or we have in our mind rest in peace, right? Just that idea of rest and in peace and that happens when you die. But my contention is, and I believe that Isaiah is talking about here, is, is rest now. Not rest when we die. Yes, there is going to be a rest. That's going to be a special rest. But this is a different rest, that we rest in him. We rest in our God, our God who understands rest, who created rest for us, who rested on the seventh day. That God wants us to enter into that kind of rest. He wants us to enjoy that. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, and I believe I have a a slide on that, if you can throw that one up there. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and he's talking about Israel and Israel's lack of entering into God's rest. He says, Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he's talking to his present audience and saying, Let's look back at Israel, how they messed up. He says, for good news came to, uh, to us just as it did to them, to the early Jews during Moses' day. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were, it was not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter into that rest. And he, and he goes on to say, today if you hear his voice, today if you hear his voice, we need to enter into God's rest. And so how do we enter into that rest? By faith. That's what the author of Hebrews talks about. I was just doing the Bible recap this morning, and as we were looking at the passage, it was talking about uh, David wanting to build the temple for God, and he was, he was getting everything in preparation because God said, you're not building it, your son Solomon's going to, and he says, okay, Solomon can build it, but man, I'm going to make sure I got the plans, I got all the materials, all the gold, I'm going to make the first donation, I mean, all this stuff. And then it makes this simple statement, so the ark will be able to rest, or have its place of rest. And I thought, wow, that's interesting that that, that idea that I'm going to be talking about today, I read it in the passage, about this idea of rest. No longer wandering around. Rest from, you know, you think about Israel. What, were they, what was the rest that they failed to enter? And their whole generation wandered around in the desert. What was that rest that they lost? They lost the rest from homelessness, that rest from stress, that rest from having a whole generation die off. And I think about what's the rest that that God wants for us? What is that rest when we enter into his rest? Rest from sin and its, its judgment of death? That we no longer have to worry about that. That's what Romans 8 talks about. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, has delivered you from the law of sin and death. And so there's this idea of sin and leads to death. We're free from that. We don't have to worry about one day, am I going to get to go to heaven? That's already settled. That's, that we have rest from that. We, we have rest from, from aloneness because we have God who is always with us. He's promised, I will never leave you, ever forsake you. And I think about rest, and we think about it just in this physical terms, but it's way more than that that God what God desires for us and he asks the question and it's the driving force of this passage in fact I was as I was looking at this I found myself looking back at uh, chapter 
65 and 17 and said, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. And then a new Jerusalem down in verse 18, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. And I was thinking, I was thinking along those lines, and then heaven and earth is my, uh, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. And then at the end, in 22, for as the new heavens and new earth, and I was thinking, wow, he's going to end times. And, and so my mind was racing in that direction as I was wrestling with this passage, because so many things were focused on that. And even some of the commentaries focused on that. But I just kept spending time in, in this passage because I was thinking, something's, I'm missing something. It doesn't seem like it's pulled together. And then I realized, duh, he says right here in this question, what is the place of my rest? That's what he's answering. That's what this sermon is all about, the place of rest. So what is that place of rest? What is he talking about? In fact, we see that uh, Stephen quotes this in Acts chapter 7 and he's, he's, uh, he quotes this passage and he's stoned for quoting this passage because he's saying it's not the temple. The temple's not it. It's not about the religious system and they were mad at him for saying those things. And, and yet he was only saying what Solomon said in 1 Kings 8. In 1 Kings 8 Solomon said I'm building this temple but the God who even the heavens can't contain him, the universe can't contain him, how, how can this house do that? How can this temple do that? It can't. In Acts chapter 17, we see Paul talking about this same idea that, that God is, is greater than any temple that we have. And so what is the place of rest? And you can imagine that for, for most Jews, this would be a real struggle because he's saying, what is the house that you've built for me? And he's saying, essentially, it's not enough because heaven's my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house? And he's, he's saying that same idea. Jews must have been upset at Isaiah as well, just like they were at Stephen. What are you talking about? We have this beautiful temple that we had that got this, this, that's gonna, and, and, and Isaiah saying, it's going to be destroyed. What's the most important thing? And then it's interesting, and, and it's uh, the very next thing that he talks about in verse 2. It says, and these things, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And you almost go, wait a minute. Didn't you change topics here? All of a sudden you were talking about the place of my rest. And now you're talking about this person that you look to. What's the, what's the juxtaposition here? Does that, that doesn't seem to fit. Until you realize what he's saying is the place of my rest is this one. This one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. In other words, the place of my rest is the human heart of a humble and contrite person who responds to the word of God. He's saying exactly what we see in the New Testament, that the spirit of God is going to come in, that the, that the spirit in 1 Corinthians 6, is we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We became the temple. And in Acts chapter 2, that's what was going on. The spirit of God that was in the temple uh, up to that time and, and, and that idea of this manifest presence of God in a location now went from the temple to the human heart. That that's a huge change. And the place of God's rest is us. 
So it's those of us who have responded like in Acts, I mean, in, in Hebrews 4, where we began to believe and we believed on Jesus and, and not only began to believe, we took that step to receive him into our life. At that moment, we received the Spirit of God. And we become a temple of the Holy Spirit, purchased by him, belonging to him. And Isaiah is saying, that's what's going to happen. He's already talking about that here. This person who is humble, not thinking of himself, but thinking of the Lord. Contrite, meaning meek, trembling, or even lame. Has the, carries the idea of being lame in spirit uh, in, the, in the original and trembles at my word, this idea of awe and respect for God's word, which is something that's lost in our day. People are trying to deconstruct God's word. They're trying to say, oh, well, the miracles, it's like they're doing what Thomas Jefferson did, the Jefferson, Jeffersonian Bible. He went and cut out all the miracles out of the Bible. He had a lot shorter New Testament, right? Doesn't have a resurrection at the end of Christ's death. I mean, some important stuff got cut out. Because he was kind of trying to deconstruct the this, this scriptures, saying miracles are not possible. Somehow they're a violation of nature. And, and, and yet they aren't. The God who created all things, isn't he able to do more than just create? Biggest miracle, he can do small miracles, not a big deal for him. And he's contrasting this with another pathway. And another pathway he talks about in verses 3 and four. In three and four, he says, and it, it gets kind of strange language here. He says, he who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. You can think, what? He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. Never done that. Don't ever want to. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood, which would have been uh, uh, wrong for them, would have been um, something that was a violation of, of the law. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. How, how can he say these things? These are the things that he commanded. Slaughtering an ox, sacrificing a lamb, grain offering, memorial offering. Those are all part of the law. Why are they compared to those horrible things? Because of the next phrase. These have chosen, underline, circle, their own way. Doing religious ritual, but doing it your own way. Doing it for your own means. Doing it for your own motives. Doing it for, so that somehow you gain something out of it. That, that this is all about you, not about the Lord. And so he brings judgment on them. And we see that as, and their soul delights in the, their abominations. I will also choose harsh treatment for them and bring their fears upon them. I was thinking, wow, I would never want that. My fears brought, brought upon me. Why? Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. That, that fits with Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, we see Isaiah going, you know, that famous phrase, here I am, send me, right? I mean, he first, you know, he, he appears before the throne of God and he falls on his face. Man, I'm, I'm sinful. I, I, I'm, a, I'm among a sinful people. And so the angel sticks a coal on his lips and says, now you've been made clean by God. And so now I'm going to send you. He says, here I am, send me. And he says, who am I, you know, who am I going to preach? Well, you're going to preach to these guys that aren't going to listen. They're not going to listen to anything you say. Wow, can you imagine that kind of preaching? That would be so discouraging as a pastor to think nobody's going to hear, nobody's going to understand, nobody's going to want to understand, nobody cares. He says, how long do I do this? 
He says, till destruction comes, till the Babylonians come and destroy everything. Wow. And so he's bringing that back here at the end of the book, what he brought up at the beginning, bookending it. He says, because when I called, no one answered. I spoke, they did not see. If you remember the passage that Doug read in verse 24 of chapter 57, it says, before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. God's saying, I'm calling and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, but nobody else is. Nobody's listening because of that judgment's coming. But then he says, and he kind of brings it back to the one who trembles at God's word. He says, hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. So you're already valuing God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Speak it. Think about it. Read it. I was talking to someone this morning about their, their own struggles with, with reading, just reading God's word on a daily basis. And they said, here's some of the struggles that I have. And, and you know, I was thinking, wow, we all have those struggles, don't we? It's something we need to fight for all our lives. It's not something that comes easy. It's not something that's come easy for me. You think, oh yeah, but you do that all the time. You preach the word. Yeah, but I tell you, there's a whole lot of pastors that have stopped reading the word for their own life and they're only reading it so that they can preach it. And then sometimes they buy sermons and then they just preach those and so they're not even reading it all for themselves. And it's real easy to slip into, well, I'm doing this for the Lord or that for the Lord. It's like, then you fall into that same pit of what these guys are doing. They're doing all these religious things, all these things that look good, but they're doing it their own way. Versus just valuing God's word, valuing it in your life. You need to fight for it. I encourage you, that's one of the reasons why I encourage you so much in our day. We've got to read God's word. There's people that are attacking God's word, saying we need to deconstruct it or whatever. It's like, no, we don't need to deconstruct it. We need to read it as God meant it. It's a love letter to us, and it's important and valuable to us. We, otherwise, we'll be like the person who's anemic, who's, who's anorexic, who isn't eating. If we're not eating God's word, our li- if we're not devouring God's word, our lives internally are going to look shriveled up like someone who's anorexic, will be anorexic spiritually. And so he's saying, hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word. He's talking to those who have responded to God. And he says, that's the place of my rest. But then he goes on and he talks about another place of rest. And and we see this as he starts in verse 6. He says, the sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord. And Jesus was the one who, who was in the temple, was in the city of Jerusalem, and he was speaking. And what was he speaking? It says, as you go on, it says, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has seen, heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a land be born in a day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? As soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I not bring to the point uh, uh, of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? What is he talking about here? He's talking about Jerusalem. He says an uproar from the city. That city, he says in verse 10, rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her. He's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the rebirth of the nation. And he's talking about, and he's still answering this question, what's the place of my rest? It's the human heart and it's also Jerusalem. In a physical reality, there's a plan 
for Jerusalem. There's a plan to recreate it. We see that in Revelation chapter 21. When you read Revelation 21, I think I have that slide. Yes, thank you. It says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Here we're talking about the end of times, right? We're talking about after the tribulation period, this new city, the holy city, Jerusalem. So God still has a plan for Jerusalem. We talked about that last time. Don't think that God's plan for Israel is somehow now taken over by the church. God is doing some amazing things through the church, involving Jews in the church, but he still has a plan for the nation. And that's not opposed to what he's doing with the church. It says, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice, remember this, this, we talked about this voice sounding forth, the sound of the Lord, a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Just like, we, like Isaiah is talking about. So he's, he's picking up on some of this language of Isaiah and he's saying, the place of my rest, it's going to be with, with, with people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And you think, wait a minute, didn't we just read about that? In Isaiah 57, no more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And so this idea of no more weeping, and I think, man, was, was John spending time in, in Isaiah? I don't know when he was, when he was writing this because there's some language that you kind of go, wow. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. New Jerusalem, there's a plan. There's a new creation of Jerusalem in Isaiah 57:19. Uh, in 57:18, it says, For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy. And you think, wait a minute, Jerusalem's already created, so what are you talking about? He's talking about a new creation, just like a new heavens and a new earth. He's talking about something new coming about. He goes on and says, Rejoice with Jerusalem, verse 10, and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. I, won I always wondered if... Uh, the author of it as well with my soul picked up that first phrase from peace to her like a river. When peace like a river attendeth my way. It says that like the glory of the nations, like an overflowing stream. In Isaiah chapter 8, he talks about Assyria coming in in judgment as an overflowing stream. And now he takes that imagery and he uses it as, of glory that there's this glory that's coming. If you understand and have read his, his, number, uh, his sermon in 54, chapter 54, uh, he says, uh, it's his 15th sermon, it says, Sing, O barren one who did not be uh, bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not uh, been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your offspring will possess the nations and, and, will, uh, and will people the desolate cities. 
And so this idea of you need a larger tent, people are going to start coming to Jerusalem. And he talks about that later in Isaiah 66, where he says that they shall bring all your brothers, verse 20, they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and on chariots, on litters, on mules, on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. So it's, it's this idea of bringing all of Jerusalem, all of the Jews back to the nation. I mean, it's just this idea of this gathering uh, to Israel. And so God is saying, you're going you're to you're need a bigger place because there's going to be a lot of folks that are coming like an overflowing stream. It says, you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon your hip and bounced upon your knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you think, oh, wait a minute, that idea of comfort he was talking about in Isaiah 40 when he started this whole section, this whole series of sermons, of 27 sermons in, in 40, he says, comfort, comfort my people. And so he's, he's, he's bookending that here as well. He says, you shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass. So this idea of flourishing of the nation. And the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword will all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. And so this idea, this picture almost of Elijah, this chariot's coming. And, and so when I look at this section, and you go back to the question, what is the place of my rest? It's the human heart of those who believe. It's Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, that God is going to remake and make new just like John speaks about in 21, in, in Revelation 21. But he's also going to include in that rest the nations. He goes on in verse 18 and says, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. In other words, God's plan, all the way from Isaiah, it wasn't just a New Testament thing that they were talking about, oh, uh, the Gentiles are supposed to be included. Isaiah was talking about that. 700 years before any New Testament book could have been written. It says, and they came and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And you go, oh, what is this sign among them? Well, in Isaiah chapter 11, we see a little bit about that sign. In Isaiah chapter 11, it says, in that day, verse 10, Isaiah eleven ten. 10, in that day, the root of Jesse shall come, shall stand as a signal. Do I have that one? Yeah. That's the beginning of it. Go to the next uh, uh, one in Isaiah 10. Yeah, there it is. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for his peoples or a sign for the people. So this idea of a sign in Isaiah 66, there it is. The nations will rally to him. Who is this root of Jesse? Well, the son of Jesse was David. And Jesus was of the line of David. So this root of Jesse... Is talking about the Messiah who is to come, the suffering servant uh, that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53. It says, uh, in that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant, which is exactly what we see in Isaiah 66, this reclaiming of the remnant that is left of his people from, and it lists this whole series of places which are very similar to the list in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse um, uh, 20. 
or actually verse uh, 19, where he says that they'll go, uh, they'll be, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, Lud, uh, who will draw the bowl, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away. And, and, you, and you look at that and you realize those are some of the same places, North Africa, or some of these places, the uh, Spain, uh, Turkey, places around the Mediterranean, around the known world at that time. That this remnant is going to be taken. That God is going to care about this remnant and they're going to take them back to Israel and the Gentiles will be included in this. You go back to verse 1 of, of Isaiah 11 and it talks about a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, which is what happened to Jesus at his baptism. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and power, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And so there's this, this picture of Jesus. But the interesting thing is, is in that passage, in chapter 11 and verse 6, it says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And remember what happened, what we talked about in Isaiah 57? It says in Isaiah 57, verse 25, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. And so Isaiah is very much pulling together what he talked about earlier in the book in, in his, in his uh, uh, prophecy to the end of it. And he's pulling these things together to help us to understand the place of God's rest. The place of God's rest is going to be the human heart for those who believe on him. The place of God's rest is going to be Jerusalem. The place of God's rest is going to be because of Jesus, because of this sign that's brought, and it's going to include the nations. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how are we doing in terms of entering his rest? Because in entering his rest, he says, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Yeah, I know you value and respect the word of the Lord. Then hear it. Spend time in it. I want to encourage you to do that. I know that God wants you to experience his rest now. That when we, when we have our focus upon him, that we experience peace. Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. And so this idea that we trust in him and as we trust in him, we'll experience the peace that passes understanding that Paul picks up in Philippians that when we talk to him, when we understand the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, so we talk to him, we talk to our Lord, we trust him, we look to him. That's where rest is found. Rest is not gonna be found in taking a vacation. It's not gonna be found, we'll get some rest there. Rest is not going to be found waiting for us to die someday. Yeah, there will be rest there, but God wants it for us now. Because we, we uh, are the place of his rest, the human heart. Israel one day is going to be the place of his rest. And the nations are going to be drawn to him. On my desk, I have this statement by Corey Ten Boom. She was someone who uh, survived the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, she was in prison camps. Uh, her whole family pretty much died in the prison camps, including her sister that she was close to. And she survived it. And one of the statements that she made, and I always valued her statements on stuff like this because I know she went through some of the greatest stresses you can ever imagine. And her, her statement was just a simple statement of, Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look at Jesus 
and be at rest. He is our rest. And that's why he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Our rest is in him. Our rest is belief in him. That's where we find our rest. And may we, if you're struggling today and you're struggling with the stuff of life, Jesus still is the answer. It sounds like a simple, try, try, you know, thing that people just say, no, it's, there's a reality to it. Don't push it away so easily. Take time to spend time in God's word and trust in him. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you that Jesus is our rest. We thank you that he has invited us into his rest. Father, we thank you that the author of Hebrews tells us that we enter into his rest by faith. It's a faith thing. It's a faith issue. Lord, help us to do that. Help us not to just know it and to say, oh yeah, that sounds like a great answer. Help us to do that on a daily basis when we wake up in the morning and we're feeling stressed saying, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I know I can't do it on my own, but I trust you. And I'm not just praying for an outcome. I trust your will to be good. And so I trust your answer to be what's right and what's needful, whether I like it or not. Lord, help us to be those people who trust you, who look to you, who hear your word, who listen to it and apply it to our lives. Help us to apply this idea of rest to our lives now, that every day when we wake up, that we will enter into your rest simply by faith, by believing on Jesus, by believing what you're going to do, believing that you have taken away this sin and death, and so we don't need to worry about where we're going to go when we die if we've believed on Jesus. Our salvation is secure. I don't, know, I ne- I don't need to worry about being alone because you're always with me. So you've set me free from aloneness. You've set me free from, from death. You've set me free from uh, uh, a Christless eternity. You've, you've set me free from all those things You've set us free. And Lord, I pray that we would enter into your rest on a day-by-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. I know that the enemy doesn't want us to enter your rest. He wants us to be in turmoil in our hearts. He wants us to be upset. He wants us to be stressed. Father, help us to just draw near to you because you've, you've already drawn near to us. And Lord, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.